welcome to another bonus episode of How the Fuck. It's Rebecca Lee, as always. For those of you who don't know, How the Fuck is a new bonus series we're offering. You'll hear about 20 minutes or so here, and then to hear the rest of this episode, you'll go to patreon.com slash howthefuck. How the Fuck is a series where we have guests on and they get to choose what we talk about. On this episode, I talk with actor, writer, comedian, and advocate Santina Muha. We talk all about how the fuck to be in a hospital. We talk about advocating for yourself, patient rights. We talk about Santina and how what she's been through in the hospital and how she overcame that. She gives you sort of tips and tricks for how to just stand up for yourself and, you know, be your own advocate. So without further ado, here's the first 20 minutes of how the fuck to be in a hospital. Sandina, hi! Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting with me again. I'm so 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 pumped to talk with you. Um, tell me what the fuck you want to teach the fucking audience today. I want to teach people how the fuck to be in the hospital, and I'm so pumped for this. Okay, great. And I know as long as it's not going to like re-traumatize you or trigger you in any way, because that's absolutely not what I want to do. You don't Um, get re-traumatized when you stay traumatized. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. That's what the Xanax is for. Um, uh, Oh, what are you drinking? Oh, tea all day. Oh, I know we talked about this, but what type of tea? Earl Grey? But it's nighttime. No, no, no. This is um, like more of a green tea blend. And it's actually from the... Huntington Library or, or uh-huh. something. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's like their special blend or whatever. And I, it's good. So I bought Ooh, it. Have you yeah. been to their tea room before? Yeah. Yeah. That's where it was. That's where you bought it. It was, I've only been one okay. time and I fucking love a good tea party. Mm-hmm. You know, when COVID's mm-hmm. done and we can do things again, tea parties need to start being a thing. Please. Yeah. I'm going to start I've done it. A few. I've done a few over Zoom. Oh, really? Tea parties? Yeah. That's fun. Uh, well, I drink, I'm, t- I'm serious. I drink right. tea all but I mean, like, I want to make, like, tea sandwiches and, like, do the whole shebang. Yeah, I love the shebang. I do. It's a good shebang. Okay. It is. So how the fuck do you, what should we call it? Survive in a hospital? Thrive in a hospital? Exist in a hospital? Uh, yeah, just, just. All of that? Just be. Just be, be. in the hospital. Ooh. Such a good word. <laughs> be. Okay, okay, okay. So to know this, first we have to kind of talk about why you were in the hospital yeah which time right so the first time I was I know the first time so I was in a car accident when I was six so I was in the hospital for a year then when I was I didn't realize you were in the hospital for a year after that yeah yeah almost just shy of a year I turned I went in just a few months before my sixth birthday turned six in the hospital was home a few months before my seventh like going back and forth or like it'd be like sleeping there no, I was there. I didn't leave at all. I moved at one point from the hospital hospital to like a rehab hospital right. at, at some point in the middle there and stayed in the rehab hospital. But no, I mean, I was in a really bad car crash. I was touch and go for months if I was even going to oh. live at all. That oh, was in the ICU. Then I made finally transitioned from the uh, intensive care unit to the adolescent ward. And then I... Yeah, and then I ended up going to a rehab hospital and then finally home. So then in middle school, like some sort of Erin Brockovich situation, I got a brain tumor from the water. No fucking way. Yeah, yeah, I know. And so I had to get that removed. Wait, 
Holy fucking shit. You had a brain tumor? Yes. From I was water? so fortunate that it was benign. So non-malignant. So it wasn't yeah. cancerous. Thank God. Yeah. But that was what another thing that I had to do. But wait, but wait, listen what happened. So I kept going to the doctor and the doctor kept saying like, oh, it's, it must be stress. Like they couldn't pinpoint it. And my mom's like, stress? I guess, but she's in seventh grade, you know? And they're like, no, it's nothing. So one day I'm in the cafeteria, I'm laughing with my friends and the pressure of my laughter exploded this tennis ball sized tumor in my brain. And I felt it and I was like, it felt like a, and I froze. My friends were like, what are you doing? Stop. And then they saw my teeth, my uh, lips get blue and my face get white. And they were like, oh God, she's not joking. Brought me to the nurse. So I had a, an operation to remove that tumor piece by piece, but because it exploded and it was like almost like a game of operation in my head where they, they didn't want to, there was one piece that was too embedded in my brain to take out. So they had to leave it and wait and, and let it grow again until it was big enough to remove. So two years later, I had to go back to the hospital and get that tumor removed again. And that one was even worse because at least the first time I woke up in the hospital and they were like, okay, you're in the hospital. You, you can't leave until we take this out. The second time it was like, well, when should we plan the surgery? So I had all of the anticipation leading up right. to it. Right. And then, and in between there, I've had a few little like surgery and I say little, and they're like definitely major, but compared to those things, they were just like, you know, few weeks of hospital stays, you know, like a week to two or three weeks for different things bladder reconstruction and things that that were uh, a result of the car accident got it okay i was gonna ask was it related to the car accident or the tumor god everything else was related to the accident besides the tumor uh the two-time tumor and then (laughs) i know and then tumor i know i know (laughs) that's like that that information i mean how long have i known you and that that doesn't even that that's like my c story right not even I did. I, I had no idea about this tumor. I know. I'm. I'm, I'm completely blown away. Okay. You okay. can't say my mind is blown because that's literally what happened to me, right? I know. I, I also know. didn't know that tumors could explode. Uh, I didn't either. I didn't either. Now uh, I have a new uh, worry to. Uh, in the back <laughs> sorry. Of my mind. Like at any moment, my I could have a tumor that I don't know about that just no. explodes. No, you would have symptoms leading up to it. I had symptoms leading up to it. The doctors ignored. But that's what we're going to talk about. We're okay, going to talk okay, about, okay. This, about how to. Be an advocate, yes. yes, exactly. And then this most recent long hospital stay of mine was three months in the hospital, um, and I had a bone infection on my like it's called your ischial, which is basically your ass cheek, basically. Okay. So I had a bone infection, and they had to go in and operate twice, and sort of take like muscle um, from my thigh and reconstruct the area of my ass that you know was in, had was affected by the bone infection because it was like eating my flesh the infection on the inside a whole thing so they had to like fill it up fill in this gap that was um that had occurred this like caved out gap and because of that I had to spend seven weeks bed bound seven weeks I was not allowed to get out of bed not even one time like the grandparents and Willy Wonka and the chocolate yeah. factory How I was all well, I, I mean, I can't tell you how old I was. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I was in my third. I was, uh, yeah, I was in my 30s. I had now, I was an adult. So basically, okay, okay, I fine. was an adult now. Now it's not like my mom wasn't paying right. bills. My mom wasn't, nobody, you know, talking to the doctors. Like I was in charge now. So now on top of being sick, I was also 
trying to juggle all the the red tape and all the bullshit that comes along with it which you know kind of made me miss the days when i was just like mom you know you do it totally so uh and my mom came out to help and whatever but you know there's like stuff that your parents don't know about you when you're an adult anymore or they don't have the right paperwork or or people won't talk to them they'll you know because they're like man is your child an adult can i I talk to her so it happens so that was the last hospital stay and that one really was a really great refresher course from the one that i had when i was little right yeah because now i was an adult i know right yeah did you have insurance at that time uh, the most recent time you did yeah i did thank okay God, yeah okay and like how i mean what what was the different like what do you remember a lot from your six-year-old because because you know yeah i don't remember anything from when i was six but also i wonder if like a big trauma like that causes you to remember or does it cause you to forget because it's like your brain's like we can't go there or like Mm-hmm. you know like what do you what were the, the differences what well i'm sure there are things that i don't remember from yeah. that time but there are also things that i probably remember yeah like you said more than someone right because i had like sort of these events you know happened in my life that yeah. like i remember you know and just i remember being in the hospital and um being just getting gifts all the time and being like the most popular girl on the ward because I was there the longest so all the nurses all the doctors all the students all the other patients everyone knew me and I was just like I'm so popular I just felt like I loved that feeling of being like this the star of the of the adolescent ward which is just so that just shows you when you're little how you know your personality just like shines through I personally when someone gets injured and or or has to be in the hospital when they're little and everyone's like oh what a shame oh my god they're so what a baby i'm like i think for me i'm like honestly it's it's sadder but it's better because when you're little you're only focused on the present right it hurts right now or it doesn't hurt right now you're not wondering what um who's gonna want to hire me now or like how am i gonna live or am i gonna be able to be a mom or like you know you're not thinking of all those things when you're six years old you're just like oh that hurts oh good that doesn't hurt anymore and that's like it right yeah yeah totally it's like your own you're in the moment and yeah i mean i i didn't have any hospital stays as a kid but i remember like getting injured or you know things like that and being like oh i guess i'm gonna not be able to whatever use this hand for a couple months and then back to life. But I'm not like, okay, so am I going to be able to pay my bills now that I can't use this hand? Like things that a kid is not going to think about. And also I think it goes hand in hand with like the fact that children are very resilient and their brains Mm -hmm. are still growing and memories aren't always like, I don't remember what I was doing when I was six, like versus an adult, you're like, you have, you remember and you have all those worries and how do you how do you manage that as an adult like yeah you, and here's another, just another thing about being a kid that's important yeah. it's part of the reason I survived this car crash because um all of that energy that I had as a five-year-old that I would have used to just like run around the room I was now in a hospital bed and my body was using all of that energy to heal mm. right because it still was there. I still had that energy. And so rather than expel it by running around the room, I used it to heal. That's important. That's so important. Mm-hmm. You have less energy when you're older, when you're an adult. And so that's why everything just like, ugh, feel like, you know, takes longer and feels longer, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the stress of being an adult in existence. Exactly. Um, like there's like, yeah. you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know everything. I, but I know like there's cortisol involved and like when you're under stress, you release like stress hormones and like right. that can cause additional inflammation, which can cause hindrance and healing and all that stuff. Whereas kids, you know, that the stress is, has not been compounded years upon years yet yeah. to where you're in that state. Yeah. And the anxiety of what's tomorrow going to look like in my, but I had it, I had it in my, you know, as an adult and they sent the neuropsych into the room, the neuropsychologist to see me because I was freaking out. I, they thought that I had, um, so I had such chest pain. They, at first they thought I had some sort of a clogged artery. They thought I had maybe a blood clot and they put me through all these tests. And then after I had the surgery, that and when I woke up from the surgery and I said, Did it work? Because they were they kept telling me, We're gonna try it as you know, and I didn't know if I, I was gonna let live or die, really, you know. So once I woke up from the surgery, I said, Did it work? It worked, it worked. We got it where it's gonna be like a long recover road for recovery, but it worked. And I never had that chest pain again. It was all anxiety and fear. And so they sent the neuropsychologist to the to see me, and I kept saying, uh, you know, before the surgery, I kept saying, what if this, what if that, what if this? And he said, yeah, you know, every time you say, what if, let's just change it to like, what is? And so that's something I try to do now. Egg. Yeah. I'm writing it down. Okay. Change what if to what is. That is, right. that is so, that's very beautifully put and easy to understand, but hard to do in the yep. moment. You in know? the moment. Because yeah. first you have to be aware that you can change from what if to what is. Because, like, normally I'm just like, what if, what if, what if? I don't even take a moment to even think that there's anything other than what if. But there right. is. And it's what is. What, what is. What is. Yeah. Which yep. kind of goes hand with, like, the word be, which kind of is the word of mm -hmm. this podcast. Is like, And the other thing that you told me, that, which I thought was really great advice, was to, you know, if I'm going to sit here and say what if, and I come up with the most, like, horrific case scenario, he said, okay, and now I want you to tell me what if – best case scenario yes but uh, like realistic not what if i wake up as a unicorn and ride off in the sunset like what if and tell me like you're most realistic and i said okay what if i what if they wake up and they and they get it and then, you know and i just like went through what could be the most realistic scenario and right. that made me feel better to just even to have that scenario floating around in my brain alongside you know what if i die which just wouldn't shut up until i finally woke up and didn't die of course. And that like, mm -hmm. I mean, that the, some, something that I've had been thinking of a little bit is like in the past couple of months with COVID and everything and blah, 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 mm -hmm. it's like, and this is not a happy topic that I'm about to say, but like a slow passing or a quick passing, you know, like, yeah, yeah. And the difference between that in like people who grieve someone who's passed and also, I guess it doesn't really matter if you are the one who dies because you're dead but like i don't know like slow like i don't just like knowing that you're sick and that you're going into surgery yeah yeah like the awareness of it is mm -hmm. like a whole nother level than just like if you were to like pass out and wake up and the surgery's over you know what i mean well, that's what happened to me with the tumor the first right. one was so much easier than the second one because even though the first one I had all the pain and the, the symptoms, which I did not have for the second one, because we were monitoring it, 
I had the anxiety and the fear. And to me, that was worse. It is. Yeah, I know. It's worse because your brain can imagine worse things than usually your body can even do. Yeah. So how many, so, so the bone, I want to make sure I'm saying this right. Bone infection. Yeah. What, how, how many surgeries did you have for that? Well, I had one first outpatient and he, the the doctor fucked it up, (gasps) fucked it up bad and he made it way worse. And yeah. And I had to fire him. And that's something I want to talk about. And, and then I, and then that's when I went into the hospital. So I kept saying, I don't think this is an outpatient surgery. I'm in a wheelchair. How am I supposed to stay off of this wound? And he's like, well, just stay. I said, well, what happens when I have to go to the bathroom or something? I'm going to have to get in my wheelchair. I can't just lay on my couch. Well, if you go to the bathroom, that's okay. I'm like, how is that okay? I'm putting pressure on stitches. No, you'll be fine. Really? I don't think I'm going to be fine. And we got into a literal fight. And the guy, he, he called me dramatic. He said I was acting like a real housewife of Beverly Hills. I said, no, I'm acting like a real housewife of New Jersey. <laughs> Get it? Fucking yeah. right. Yeah. Wait, he, that, this was, pro- this was before the surgery or after the surgery? This, this was, fight. this fight was after. Cause I, he would not believe me. I had a fever of like one. Yeah. And he just, of 101.5. I was laying there with a fan on and washcloths and and taking all this Tylenol and I still had a fever. And he kept saying, no, it has to get to this number before we'll take you in. I'm like, what number? It's been a week that I've had this fever. I said, what do you want me to do? Stop taking the Tylenol so we can reach that number. You need me to get to maximum suffering. Like, believe me, I'm telling you. I'm saying, he would not believe me. He would not believe me. He told me I needed anti-anxiety medication. I'm like, this is insane. And, and really what I needed was antibiotics because I had a terrible terrible infection. So finally, ultimately what I did was I went to that doctor again and I said to myself, this is the last time I'm seeing this doctor uh, because he, something already had gone wrong. He put this drain in, made me responsible for cleaning out this drain every day. And the drain, and I said, what happens if it falls out? It's not going to fall out, fall out. Okay. Well, what happens if it does? It can't. All right. But just, I just want to make sure I'm like, if it does, I don't panic or I know what to do. Oh my God. You're so dramatic. Well, guess what happened? Yeah, it fell out at two o'clock in the morning. And I didn't know what to do. And so do I go to the emergency room? Can I go to sleep like this? And like, what do I do? So I had to call him in the middle of the night and, you know, call the on call. They woke him up. He was pissed about it. I'm like, you should have just told me what I asked. Right. So anyway, so now this, so this is like the biggest piece of advice. I just feel like I need to give everybody. So I don't think people know this. You can fire your doctor. You are your doctor's boss. You are your doctor's boss. That is the most important thing you need to know. You you are your doctor's boss. They, they work for you. You don't work for them. So if they're giving, you know, if you brought your car to a mechanic and the guy said, it's fine, just forget it, just take it home. And they didn't believe you. You'd probably what? Go to a different mechanic, right? right. Why don't we do that with our bodies? Right. Right? So I told the guy, I said, listen, because he, he, I went to him at the next, you know, after the, the drain fell out, I went and I said, um, well, what are we going to do? And he was like, well, we could try to do the surgery again. We'll do, uh, and I'll, this time, instead of the drain, I'll put a vacuum and, you know, we'll send you home with the vac. I go, no, stop, just stop. You obviously don't know what you're talking about. Please go get me another doctor who does. And then I just st- sat there and he looked at me like, huh, how dare you? And I, I did not budge. And he walked out and a few minutes, like 10 minutes later, another doctor walked in and he was just a really nice guy. He was also hot. And he, uh, love he, a hot doc. 
I know, except for when you have to meet the ass first. It's like, oh God, I was going to buy the cow when I already gave him the milk for free. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, so anyway, so I, 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 I fired the one doctor, got the other one. The other one was like, oh my God, what is, this is a mess. You need to go straight. I couldn't, I didn't even go home that day. I went straight to the emergency room I, and I did not come what, back. What, what made him say that? Like your appearance, your temperature, your chart, your. It was, ne- my skin was necrotic around the edge, meaning dead. And he, he saw it and he, and my fever and. And the asked, other doctor saw it and didn't, and was like, it's fine. We'll do this. And this doctor yeah. was like, you need to go immediately. Immediately. Don't even go home. Don't get any, all your stuff. Go straight to the hospital. Thank you so much for listening to the first 20 minutes of this bonus episode. How the fuck to be in a hospital with guest Santina Muha. To hear the rest of this interview, both in audio and video format, head over to patreon.com slash how the fuck. <laughs>